Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. You sound excited. I am. I am. And I I gotta tell you, man, um, I can see my neighbor's light on directly across the way from me. And um, I, I, I guarantee you they heard that. (laughs) <laughs> and i am sure they're looking over at my apartment right now what the hell what did this guy just cracking. yell about yeah um lucas lucas i am excited it's, um we're we're, we're back we're, we're back. back with a mainline game episode i know we've been a little off kilter lately but the off kilter is actually the new kilter so <laughs> deal with it um yeah we are back with a mainline episode here um and yeah uh, a couple little things to mention off the bat i think one um you know, uh, I'm just to be honest, we're playing, you know, the number one, um, you know, just self-punishment game today, Elden Ring. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, you know, and I really want to pre- preface this because <laughs> one of the reasons we were doing only one episode a month now was to give ourselves more time to play the video games and beat them. I, unfortunately, did not beat <laughs> could, Elden could Ring. Could not beat Elden Ring. Um, on one hand... Even with the amount of time, just on a pure skill level basis and patience level, I'm not sure I would have beat Elden Ring. But two, um, I, I just, I, it was a, it was a heavy April was a heavy month and for your, for your boy Matt. And at the beginning of this month, I just had a lot going on, personal stuff, and I sat down to try and play the game shortly after that personal stuff occurred. And I don't it know, it's just. You gotta, you gotta be in a certain, you have to have a certain frame of mind to play Elden Ring. You know, you gotta, you gotta be ready to really dig in. And I was, I was not ready (laughs) to dig in. And I very quickly was like, I just, I can't do it. Um, But I, I, I did put a good 35 hours into the game. I got up, I beat up to the third mainline boss, I believe. Uh, so I did put in a good amount of time, not nearly as much time as I could have, honestly, because it's a massive game. But I mean, it's, it's 35 hours of a video yeah, yeah. game, people. Hey, That's a hey, lot of video on, game. I mean, we, we talked about this. I think we've told some people of our audience like, hey, we're we're just going to go for Elden Ring. And, you know, we weren't even sure if we'd have the skill to be able to even beat the game, but we were mm-hmm. just going to do it. And whether we beat it or not, we would record the episode and just and just go for it. Yes. Um, you know, Matt, Matt just had some some crazy life changes going on at the beginning of April and um, they affect everybody. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, Matt couldn't beat it. But I, I'm the I'm the lore master beater of the game for this episode. So me and Matt have plenty to master. talk about. Yeah, <laughs> hey, Matt, I did become the Elden Lord, mm-hmm. um, got one of the six super awesome endings that you can get, um, played the hell out of the game, uh, put life on hold. I bought a PS5. <laughs> it was the first thing I downloaded. I know, that was a big month. Uh, we got a PS5. It was, it was yeah. huge. Um, and you know uh put 120 hours into the game according to my file my save but uh maybe 20 of that was idle so probably between 90 and 100 hours of of true game time um beat the game got halfway through the game on new game plus just to check out some content that i missed the first go around uh just just really really played so much of this game um so yeah well that's that's kind of setting the stage here for for the podcast recording but the mm-hmm. other thing that we wanted to announce to to the people here is we are recording this one remotely 
Um, I know, you, you know, typically our, our <laughs> listeners can't really hear if it's remote or in person in the studio. We have great audio. Shout yeah, out we have to good audio. Sam. Good audio. Good. Yeah. Good production, all that kind of stuff. But uh, typically what we are, the goal that we're trying to have here is, you know, since we're, we're really only doing one mainline game episode a month, we're trying to get in studio for those, but we're not able to get in studio uh, because I was exposed to COVID uh, this week. So you know, guys, I'm not feeling sick. I don't. I don't really have any symptoms. I got a small cough. Um, you know, I just want to be cautious and isolate. Uh, it's still still an important thing to do. I uh, just want to tell anybody out there listening, like, hey, you know, this it's it's not gone. I know a lot of us have returned to normal. Uh, people are going back to work. Businesses are reopening. A lot of states have gotten rid of their mask mandates. Um, you know, just know it's 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 still out there. Um, that being said, I'm I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling okay, but you know, the the next few days, I guess, is kind of a wait and see moment. Still got to be uh, careful. Still yeah, be careful. yeah. Luckily, you know, I work remote, um, and uh, I'm just monitoring my symptoms as much as I can. I got plenty of at home tests, uh, plenty of food, and I just did laundry before I got exposed. <laughs> oh, so man. we're You're we're probably in the best possible scenario for for the scenario. So uh, that's why we're not in studio today. And um, it's a shame, but you know, we're, we're practicing caution for the best. Absolutely. And uh, just a couple more things I want to touch on before we jump in here. Um, Lucas, guess what? I was just playing like maybe 20 minutes ago, actually. Maybe Sifu? 30 minutes ago. Sifu? Not Sifu, though we are doing Sifu for the podcast next. Lucas, no, I was playing Fortnite. Are you serious? <laughs> Bil- the no build mode? The no build mode. Um, I, I'm in a, a group chat with some of my old fr- or some of my friends from San Diego. Um, I lived there for a while. Game with hear them here and, here and there. Like usually, just play you know Call of Duty or Halo or stuff like that. And I just I see a text at like 5:30 p.m. today and just says Fortnite. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're doing it. So we all got it downloaded. Uh, I only played for like 30 minutes, but my god, that game is just sensory overload now you know <laughs> especially coming from something like elden ring I, I just have to bring it up because it was so jarring because elden ring has a pretty minimal ui you know mm-hmm. other than you just you know you have your health star health bar mana bar um stamina bar and then you have i, I think there's you know the, the maps is it even the, is the map even in there actually it's in the, uh, the map right? is not in the hud not in the um, base yeah you have to pull it up yeah yeah and so it, it's a very baseline you know hud and i'm i'm trying to play Fortnite, there's just so many colors there's so <laughs> like the like a few like maybe f- like 15 to 20 percent of my screen is just taken up with boxes or texts like i feel like i'm playing an advertisement game even though it's not it's just like <laughs> oh don't forget to do today's challenge in mid game like uh, there's just so much going on Whoa. it's just like and as i saw my friends you know I felt like if I if I was ten years old and playing this game for the first time, I'd be like, "Oh, but I'm never leaving my Xbox or my PlayStation or my computer." It, there's just so much going on; it, it was crazy. Um, Th- that's yeah, a super I, good like opposite end of the spectrum thing for yeah. for what we're talking about today with Elden Ring for sure. It was it was so nutty, and I mean, <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of makes me think of like. It gave me like Ready Player One vibes with just how much sensory information was going into me at once. <laughs> I don't know if you read or read that book or watched that movie. Mm-hmm. And then it also reminded me that seeing that that kind of you know HUD when you're playing video games might not be that far off from being you know just a normal normal thing with actual ads because Xbox recently announced that they are looking to add 
adds to their free to play games. So man, man, things are going to change. I like mean, it makes game sense. Advertisements. We like just, we, you know, yeah, we did just recently talk about, you know, how the price of games hasn't really gone up. Um, I think on our previous episode about uh, crunch time. So, you know, I guess they're going to squeeze as much, <laughs> much revenue as they can anywhere they can. And uh, you see it in Fortnite, you see it in all the, all the free to play games and we'll probably start seeing it more for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, man, we should dive in. I'm should. I'm super, super, super excited to talk about Elden Ring. Um, you want to you want to kick us off? So everyone today. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that, everyone, as a friendly reminder, leave a review on Spotify if you can. Apple Podcasts, where you listen to your podcast. Shoot us a follow on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. It's at TFP Podcast. It's at TFP Podcast with an S at the end. Right. Or if you'd like, shoot us an email at thanksplainpod at gmail.com. And then link tree on all of our social medias. You can also find the link to our Discord. You can come hang out in there. It's the best way to reach Lucas and I and chat about whatever. We have a fun Discord community, Daily Wordle, all that good stuff. Come hang out. It's a good time. Uh, da, 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 da. We're on YouTube now. Find the YouTube in the link tree. I recently made a fun video about how to start a podcast. That's right. <laughs> clearly, clearly, Lucas and I know what we're doing. So just to share our expertise with the world so come hang out but everyone enough of that today we are talking about the number one just self-decimating self-hate game the number one tarnished game there I, I couldn't focus in on one thing for this one but everyone today we are talking about elden ring Now, before we really dive in here and before we kind of get into the history of everything, uh, I'm going to give just a very brief overview of the game and a little disclaimer here. Normally when I do these, I, I do my best to not pull it straight from Wikipedia and I, to you know just make good it call. as unique as I can. However, Wikipedia had a damn good like basic premise summary without any spoilers. So I did see that one. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm just going to use that. So everyone, Elden Ring. Elden Ring takes place in the lands between sometime after the destruction of the titular Elden Ring and the scattering of its shards, the great runes. Once graced by the ring, the Erd Tree, which symbolizes its presence, the realm is now ruled over by the demigod offspring of Queen America, the Eternal, each possessing a shard of the ring that corrupts the taints of his power. As tarnished exiles from the lands between who lost the ring's grace are summoned back after the shattering who the players play as the Tarnish, and they must traverse the realm to ultimately find all the great runes, restore the Elden Ring, and become the Elden Lord. Now that I reread that, I feel like that was a little bit broken up, but that's okay. You got the general idea. <laughs> no, uh, it's, I don't know. You, you couldn't be more clear. Like, there's like three or four proper <laughs> nouns that just show up in that paragraph for some reason. Like, the Shattering, the Ring's Grace, the Elden Lord. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. There's a lot um, going on there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, the 2022 open world dark fantasy game by From Software. Uh, 10 out of 10 from IGN, 10 out of 10 on Game Informer, 10 out of 10 on Destructoid, 90 out of 100 on PC Gamer. We'll talk about that later, a little bit later as to why that happened. A 95 out of 100 on Metacritic. Uh, just wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing ratings for this game. Matt, initial thoughts. Let's hear them. You know, I, I mean, first first thing I want to say is 
there hasn't been this much hype around a game in a very totally. long time, you know, and I, maybe it's just, I was really excited to really dive in on my PlayStation. Right. But I can't remember the last time everyone was talking about a game, you know, maybe that's just exposure bias. Cause I was playing it myself, but just as far as the memes on Twitter, everything, you know, I feel like there hasn't been a game that really soaked up the entirety of the gaming culture zeitgeist like this in a long totally. time. And I mean, just the hype for, I mean, this game was so incredibly hyped, you know, um, in 2020 and 2021 it, at the game awards, um, it won the most anticipated game. And then at the golden joystick awards in 2020, it was nominated for most wanted in a game. And in 2021, it actually won most nominated, or excuse me, uh, most wanted game. So <laughs> pretty much for like two years, everyone was just fiending and salivating over the pros thought of this game. And, I mean, when you look at what, you know, from software has done before, it's always been these relatively linear, you know, souls like games, you know, whether that was dark souls, bloodborne, you know, that's what they're really known for. And then to announce that they're doing this crazy open world game that was souls like gameplay and, you know, all that stuff is just pretty remarkable that they, you know, took that, that dive and, accepted that evolution of their games you know totally. i think a lot of developers might be might might pigeonhole themselves and not be willing to branch out and really you know develop their games in a meaningful way and develop what their games are meant to be to its credit i think assassin's creed actually whether you like the new style of games or not really tried to do that so good for them you know and then there's the opposite end of that with games like Call of Duty, where it's just rehashed year over year, where there's no real, um, no real development. To be fair, I'm not sure how you would go about developing <laughs> Call of Duty into something more, but you know, is what it is. But yeah, it's just such an incredible game. Um, and what I what I love about it too is. <laughs> um, I know you watch Donkey's video on it too, and he just talks about how. Like the week before this, Horizon Zero Dawn, or excuse me, Horizon Forbidden West came out. And then when Horizon Zero Dawn came out a week before or a week after that, then came Breath, Breath of the, of the Wild. Wild. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, Breath of the Wild is just that game that came out, or Horizon Zero Dawn, so Dawn is just was the game that came out before Breath of the Wild. Right. And then now Horizon Forbidden West, which and the reason I bring this up is because the Horizon games, well, you know, and such and bad all, timing, such terrible timing, but in all rights are very, very good games just getting completely overshadowed by um depending just on your big, taste a, a bigger a greater game. and bigger game which is <laughs> yeah. just just nutty right and i mean it's like who hasn't heard of this game you know uh, yeah just, yeah and then first gameplay impressions i mean it's just like fuck this game is really really hard i, I remember I <laughs> this is your first souls first. game this is you this and i's first, first Souls yeah, experience too. yeah uh, i remember i jumped in and i was like all right i'm gonna be a sick like samurai not samurai um dual wielding like dex dexterous type and i had oh, what was my starting build whoever has duels dual weapons in the beginning that was my starting build i forget that class name but i i started with that and then i realized man i have no concept of the timing of the like the melee attacks in this game and everything so I jumped out of that switched to confessor where i had a little bit more opportunity to have like she i don't have a shield and build up my magic a bit easier and Oh, it's it's so hard at first, but once you start to learn the combat, it gets it gets very rewarding. And 
you know, I started as a confessor and I very quickly realized, Lucas, I needed to become an angel of death. You know, <laughs> I, I got my two, my two scythes. I got my, my black hood on. And I was just roaming around having a good old time. Um, and I think something that's really notable early in the game or something that stands out to me about this game in particular and from the feedback I've seen just in general online is that magic or faith builds make this game much easier. Totally. Whereas if you're just a pure, you know, sword elitist, I guess, or warrior type person, um, which is very, very noticeable, I think. And as well, um, a bit of a point of controversy, not controversy, contention well, in the community as to yeah. how the game should truly be played. There's just so many different ways to play the game. You know, I, I myself went like a magic build uh, mostly just because I kind of gravitated towards that in the first place. Um, I, I honestly went in the game with went into the game without like really knowing a lot of builds or like knowing a lot about how Souls game stats really work. So I kind of just said, OK, well, I typically play magic when I play a character in any fantasy game so or any RPG. So let's just dive into that a little bit. I went prisoner, um, found some cool spells. I liked them a lot. They had good range. Um, but like you still had to learn how to play the game and it was still kind of steep um, in terms of the curve. So still had to dodge stuff and still had to, to parry and block things correctly and, and deal damage and all that kind of stuff and manage resources like mana and, and you know, flask charges and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it, it's kind of funny. You're right. It, the the community was really upset at the beginning of like the first time Souls players like me and you weren't like a naked wretch uh, running around <laughs> with just a sword um, and no armor at all. So, I mean, you can people are already beating this game on a dance pad um, and doing like silly stuff like that, like they always do on Twitch. So the, the game can be as hard as you really want to make it. Um, but I, I, I love that there is a little bit more accessibility um, at least that's what I hear more accessibility here than there has been in other souls games, um, with, with the ability to play with like a ranged build or a magic build and stuff like that. I think it, it's perfect because this game, they knew from software totally knew that this would cut through into the mainstream and this was going to be like kind of the game. I think, um, the George R. R. Martin tag on it, you know, the open worldness, the timing, I think it was just perfect for them to, to do it in this sort of way. So what's your what's your take on all that contention though among the how how the game should be played? And let's tackle that real quick. Yeah, um, I mean, I played a magic build, so I, and I enjoyed the game a lot. Um, I I think that if I were to play the game again, I would probably go more of a melee build and have a different experience. I'm glad that they both exist. Um, I don't know. The game is hard. The game is hard no matter <laughs> what. I mean, I, I, I went a full magic build and it was, or I went like a magic warrior kind of carry and knight build. So I had like melee, some ranged magic. I had a shield and like a staff. Uh, and it was hard. Like I died like hundreds and hundreds of times. Like it, it didn't make it the game any easier because I went into a magic build. It would have been harder if I went to a melee build probably. Um, but like, just to say that, uh, you have to play a game a certain way because it needs to be harder is, is kind of, kind of cringe to me. Uh, I think the game was hard enough, no matter what build you went. Uh, I know people like you can try and cheese the game or build whatever, whatever the most optimal, easiest build that you can build is on a theoretical level. It doesn't even matter because if you can't dodge, you won't, you won't live. So you still have to get better at the game. Um, I think so, it's weird because some open world games are way, way more guilty of this sort of thing. Like, oh, just if you're playing like Fallout, oh, just 
if you just put 100 points into dialogue or speech as soon as you can, you can skip entire quests and basically beat the game, shortcut entire mainline quests and like beat the game that way. Yeah, literally in Outer Worlds, <laughs> if you just, if you have your speech stat maxed out, which is like not that unreasonable of a thing to do, you can just totally past the final boss yeah which is a pretty rough boss and not yeah. have to worry about it so am i gonna sit there and like shit on people that put 100 into speech it just seems like a really weird thing to do um and i think that this is a version of that right like shit on people that put all their points into magic uh a very weird crowd that is wanting people to to increase their difficulty for the game that is already going to be very hard yeah i can understand it to some extent because obviously the 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 souls like series and souls like games the the souls series in particular whether that was dark souls demon souls or offshoots like bloodborne and sekiro obviously has had a very passionate fan base in the past totally and a probably actually a very niche fan base in the past and you know to my understanding other options such as magic and range in previous game iterations was not as strong as it is here so i can understand the sentiment of like no these games are meant to be played that way you know this is how you should do it and you know if you want to play the newer game that way that's totally great but i think it's great that Elden Ring actually in its own way offers more accessibility to people that maybe a ranged type of style isn't their um their strong suit, right? Or excuse me, a melee type of style isn't going to be their strong suit. You know, I think it's great that Elden Ring offers a really good play style that can actually be, um, what's the word? Uh, like used or used you know, or like, yeah. Utilized I, in a capacity that is actually um, effective, right? Rather than just like, a, oh, you can be a mage, but it sucks. Like, no, you can be a mage and it and is it's a good. way to get played yeah. the game. Oh, that's yeah. that's a really great, yeah, that's a, that's a really great point there as well. And you know, the thing that it allows the developers to do is like, there are badass spells in this game. There mm -hmm. are spells that look amazing. There's literally a Kamehameha. Fun. Yeah, there's like a Kamehameha. I mean, and, it, and it's effective, it's really good. Uh, there's like a meteor you can do. You can throw a, a full moon at somebody. Um, there's spells that buff your defense, that like increase your stats. I mean, and they they not only do they look great from an animation standpoint, they have really great utility, great particle effects and all that good stuff. I mean, you have to make them worthwhile in order for, for the audience to want to use those or find those in the world. And they made them worthwhile. So now mm -hmm. like I want to upgrade my spell book and like find the coolest spells in the game and like use them. And I know you had like an incantation build um, as well. And you like, there's like a spell where you summon a dragon claw or you shoot dragon fire. Like I, I know, want it's to, so sick. <laughs> it's so sick. Like I want to use those. I want to see what those look like. And I want to be able to use those in combat. So just the sheer number of builds, you're seeing a lot of PVP stuff come out where people are making these crazy awesome builds. Um, shout out to uh, the homie Scott or McDoobies in the uh, in the Discord server. A longtime friend of, of mine and a friend of the pod. Uh, showed me some really cool builds, some stuff he's worked on, and and even helped me with uh, some PvP and some boss stuff um, in the game. So there's there's just so much stuff you can do in the game, uh, and, and it works because they buffed or made that kind of stuff stronger in this game as opposed to uh, the other Souls games. But 100%. So I, I'll, I'll jump into my initial thoughts real quick, because I, I don't even think I really touched into mine real, uh, at all yet. But um, th this game absolutely floored me 
in every single way from the very start to the very finish. I loved everything about Elden Ring, from the combat to the world building to the dialogue, uh, the quotes, when a boss says something when they kill you, when a boss says something when they die. I obsessed <sighs> so over good. those little things. I loved the difficulty. I loved the challenge. I loved all of it. All of it. Thou aren't fit for crafting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, or the classic, put these foolish ambitions to rest. So good. I don't know why. Echoes. Whenever whenever I try and copy like any of the the demigods or their accents or whatever, I always become go Scottish. into this weird Scottish accent. You know, his name is Scottish. They are, I, I believe it's Gaelic, like Gaelic kind of origin. So yeah. I, I don't think you're too far geographically, but yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard but to nail that. this foolish and the rest, lad. This seriously might be one of my favorite games Ooh. of all time. Uh, like top, top five for sure. Maybe even top three. Uh, I played the game for over a hundred hours. I played it all through March. Um, I put life on hold to play this game. I know Matt, you were like, "Hey man, you want to go climbing today?" And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "If it's all right with you, I'm actually going to play Elden Ring instead." <laughs> and like, I like blasted through work as quickly as I can, like to stop working exactly at five. I would order like Postmates to have food delivered so that I didn't have to make dinner and just played Elden Ring like. I was obsessed with this game through basically the entirety of last month. Um, beat it, went halfway through on New Game Plus, like I said, to check out some more content, and I'll probably pick it up in the future later on. Um, I mean, when the DLC comes out or whatever comes out, I'm playing that too. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, at what point did it really... Because I, I think everyone, depending on the kind of build you run, will have a different experience as far as when the gameplay mechanics really click. So I was wondering when that happened for you. I'd say, Margaret, I, I think overwhelmingly, like everything's going to have to come together at the very first boss. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're just going to have to figure him out with whatever build you have. Um, and I think, I mean, it, I ha you have to pull out like, I think I beat him at like level 15 or 20 or something. And I felt like that was very low. No, I maybe beat him at like 25 or something like that because I beat Godric the Grafted at 36. Um, so Margit is the, is the first major boss that you fight and, uh, we're, we're total, total spoiler territory for those of you that are trying to play the game right down the line. But Margit's the first boss you fight. He's, you basically can get to him within like the first hour of playing the game. You can kind That's of really not even spoiler though. Cause I mean, he's what does that trailer. mean? He, what does that, what does that mean though? You're fighting Mark. No one knows what's actually happening. That's, <laughs> that's true. There's no plot point that really unlocks and the story is so yeah. confusing anyway, but yeah, I, you, you kind of have to like learn him and like use whatever tools that you have on hand to kind of beat him. He's a very like learnable boss, which is what's really great. So you have to like kind of learn to roll, learn the timing of your spells. I mean, magic builds are OP in late game, but at the beginning you have to time stuff out. Like the only spell that you have is a glintstone shard, which has a really, really long startup animation. So you have to like do the startup animation for that spell and then dodge all of his attacks or block them. So it's still very difficult um, to beat him. So I'd, I'd say that the game really came together while learning that fight. What about you? Same thing, yeah, when I finally got Margit because that's when I really understood how to actually utilize my tools. You know, I got my first fireball spell. Nice. I I got the, I used my first, you know, summon you really get, or one of the first ones you get, the jellyfish summon. And it was a very just like, oh, it's all coming together. And I will say, I'm still, I want to be very clear, I'm still all for using whatever you can to get through the game if it's in the game. 
But man, the jellyfish made that fight substantially yeah. easier. Yeah. The <laughs> game is still going to be hard. Like, I know, I, you know, you talked about earlier how like you got to Ronnie and and just life got in the way with, with being the game. But I mean, you could have all the spells and summons that you want. You could have the jellyfish. You can have whatever. It, Milani is the hardest boss in any video game. Like, it's just so, 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 so difficult. And like, there's even a bot, like there's a late game boss, uh, for those of you that haven't played it. And Matt, I, I think I told you about this boss. She heals if she deals damage. So like you could that have your Melania jellyfish out. You could, yeah, you could have your summons out. You could have any summon out. And she's just going to heal because she's going to like kill those summons and then get all of her health back. So in a way, it's actually worse to have a summon out. So and unless even, you like, summon, let me solo her. Unless you summon, let me solo her. Yeah, I want to talk, talk about, about that, that real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that guy. Um, for those of you that don't know, there's this guy out there on on PC or for girl, Ring. guy or girl. Yeah. Um, actually, they did an interview with Let Me Solo Her. I think it is a dude. Oh. Um, well, okay. But in either case, trying to be uh, inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a uh, there's a player out there named Let Me Solo Her, and it is a it, Elden Ring player playing on PC, usually at Melania, uh, who's one of the hardest, but honestly, the hardest boss in the game, um, harder than the last boss even. Um, and she's an optional late game boss um, and just super difficult. She was in the trailer as that that female character with the long red hair with the helmet and stuff. And she has like a mechanical arm, right? She does. She has like a prosthetic arm. She's Melania, the undefeated swordswoman and the goddess of rot. So she has a pretty sick title. Very, 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 very difficult. <laughs> like threw myself at her for like three days straight before uh, Scotty boy helped me out in, in defeating her. Um, and that even then it was still, still a little difficult. So uh, there is a character or there's a player out there who you can summon into your world. Whose name is let me solo her. And you can add a, You can summon him into your world and just fight the boss and he will defeat her for you. And he's and just to be clear. This isn't like an idle AI that you summon in or something. This is an actual person that manually takes the time out of their day to put to put down a summon sign that says let me solo her and then it's just waiting to be summoned in by whomever to help them beat this boss yeah exactly he goes in there you just sit back and he defeats her for you it's so dignified the way they do it too i saw a video on youtube of someone summoning the men and they just start with like the bow emote like i'm here to serve type of thing <laughs> it's just so oh i love it it's awesome it, it's just so it's so fucking metal too they're just they just show up and they're just wearing a fucking metal jar head and nothing else and dual katanas and they just yeah. handle it they just handle business there's there's a ongoing uh like kind of community joke within like the souls games where the most powerful and the most powerful gods and entities in in the world are people that wear no armor because you don't need to wear armor if you're never going to get hit. Yeah. So, so let me solo her just has a jar for a head uh, and and no armor on. And he's he's awesome. So shout out shout out to that person, whoever they are. Uh, I think IGN did an interview with with that individual. And uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's kind of just like a hey, yeah, I just wanted to help people out. You know, I died to her like 300 times and uh, now I've beaten her like 400 times with like a bunch of people. And uh, just just totally totally awesome stuff. So, anyway, how do we how do we get on on that? Let me solo her. I think we were talking about Melania for some reason. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just talking about how no matter how what tools you have to use in the game to win, the it, it or like the stuff that the some of the community viewed as like kind of cheesing or like not not very 
I guess, honorable compared to other Souls games. It, it doesn't even matter because that stuff is just going to get used or that stuff is going to become useless. Um, whether it's a Melania or Radon, like Radon, you kind of have to summon people. So if you're trying to beat Radon without summons, like good luck. It's that's going to be the hardest boss in the game. Yeah. You know, because yeah. your your own personal summon won't even work in Radon's boss room. And you have to summon like six or seven individual AIs to fight Radon. So I don't know. It's it's kind of becomes a funny conversation because the, the game design is so clever that they make you kind of have to use the tools to succeed, like in the case of Radon's boss room, um, or they make the tools that you use to succeed you know, kind of invalid in the case with like Melania. So in either case, everyone's just going to kind of have to beat the game the way they're going to beat the game and, and just get good. It's it's the hardest game. It, it's hard. I, I don't know why, why people need it to be harder. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean, all right, moving into game design. If it's OK with you, I'd like to start with just a description of souls like uh, Go for a it. little bit of a little bit of a monologue here. But so Everyone, this is a Souls-like game. Souls-like games, the, that genre was really taken from Demon Souls, which is really kind of what brought the genre into its own, another game by From Software. So a Souls-like game, Souls-like games typically have a high level of difficulty where repeated player character death is expected and incorporated as part of the gameplay. Uh, losing all progress if certain checkpoints have not been reached. Souls-like games also usually have means to permanently improve player character abilities as to be able to progress further, often by a type of currency that can be earned and spent, but may be lost or abandoned between deaths. Uh, in this case, for Elden Ring, that'd be the runes. Uh, if not appropriately managed, similar to the Souls in the Souls series, this mechanic provides a means to avoid an outright failure state, where the player must restart the game completely and lose all progress while still providing a risk reward system to make the game challenging to the player. The need for repeated playthroughs can be viewed as a type of self-improvement for the player. I love that. It's like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, either through gradual improvement of their character or improving their own skills and strategies within the game. Salt and Sanctuary developer James Silva said Souls-like games provide deliberate and meaningful or yeah, provide deliberate and meaningful exploration throughout the entire game, including the game world, character, improvement, and combat through learning by repeated failures. Combat in Souls-like games may also be methodical, requiring the player to monitor stamina, avoid overexertion of their character, and is often based on an animation priority action that prevents the player from canceling movement until the animation has been played out, leaving them vulnerable to enemy attacks. So there's kind of the the trademarks, if you will, of a Souls-like game. And I think if you've ever watched any gameplay from any of the previous, you know, from software games, uh, you'll see that. And then obviously with Elden Ring, I mean, that's really one-to-one -one with everything I just described. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's great. Actually, I've, I've, never, I've never heard it really broken down in that way. I think that was a, a really, really great description. Um, so that's kind of the baseline for Elden Ring's game design. Uh, it's It's got a few iterations on it, like we talked about, where you can have different builds and, and kind of play the game in a little bit of a more unique way from other Souls games. But pretty much that's that's the that's what's going on at the core of it. Uh, for game design, what I got here is, you know, I, I think Elden Ring is awesome because in terms of open world games, this one puts a giant wall in front of you and asks you to climb it or find a way to break through. Um, the wall is either a major dungeon or a boss, and it's going to be a really, really tough challenge, and it's going to be super difficult. 
Um, and you know, you might go out and explore in the world to make your character stronger, level up, or find tools that will help you kind of break through that wall. And typically in open world games, you know, either grinding will get you through the wall, just pure grinding, or the wall is just not very high and you can kind of climb over it very easily. In Elden Ring, you have to kind of do both, right? You have to improve your skill and you have to improve your, um, your skill and your avatar's in-game power as much as you mm -hmm. possibly can. And even then, it's still going to be a thrilling, challenging experience defeating that boss. Um, so the, the need for exploration is a real need in Elden Ring. Rather than like just kind of getting yourself lost in the world, every single item that you find in the world will help you get stronger to help you get through that wall, which you have to get through. So rather than like hey, here's a bunch of checkpoints that you can go to that will just waste your time and make you have fun. This is like, hey, you'll have fun, but you'll also find items that will help you. And it's going to be a very, very meaningful item. And you really do need it. Like, mm -hmm. otherwise, you're not yeah. going to beat that boss. Um, per, for me, I never really questioned the difficulty of the game. You know, I think uh, difficulty is something we talked about um, in our difficulty in gaming podcast episode last year. And I went back and re-listened to that episode about a month ago, just, just after playing some Elden Ring. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we brought up was the player promise and how when a game, a game can be frustrating or difficult when the promise that's made to the player or the expectations that the player has about your game are broken in a way that they didn't expect and don't really like. So it may become very frustrating. Anybody that's going into Elden Ring, literally anybody playing Elden Ring is going to know that it's a difficult game. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have a different level set for kind of where you got to be. And when I first died in Elden Ring, it was I had to laugh it off. It's kind of just like, <laughs> okay, there we go, first death. And then keep pushing, and you keep pushing, and you're like, okay, this this is legit. This is actually kind of hard. Dying, and, you actually and you keep dying, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. The animation for that move is very, very slow. The animations okay. are hella deceiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The super slow, like, loading boss telegraph yeah, thing. They'll yeah, they'll wind up so so long i know it's uh, i read a thing that was you know don't watch their arm but watch the weapon you know i think that was a good tip I yeah got. or watch their feet even because like yeah. even though the animations are long i think they're pretty like accurate to like they're pretty telegraphed right and like mm -hmm. oftentimes like even like the the snow giant that you fire the fire giant that you fight i would look at his feet to see when he would swing his weapon because he he swung it like a like a regular person would swing it stomp his feet bend his knee and then swing his weapon. And I was like, okay, I'll just look at his feet for the, for the timing, for the role. And you learn that, you know, I think that's, that's really, really cool. Um, one thing I have here written, um, on, on my game design, on my game design section here, if you're indulge me, Matt is uh, a note on escapism, if you will oh, allow it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think one, one <laughs> thing that, <laughs> one thing that I came to the conclusion on while playing Elden Ring, um, is thinking about video games or art in terms of escapism. So we've said it before on the pod. Um, I'm sure people here have heard it. it. Video games are a form of escapism, right? And and so much of what we consume these days uh, is is that as well. Like a lot of shows you watch on Netflix or anything you, any Marvel, you know, movies that you watch are um, forms of escapism. But what I'll, what I'll clarify on that is that everything can be a form of escapism, right? So video games, can be this place to escape to and just have a good time and have fun. And it's true for all art forms, right? A movie is not always escapism. A movie is not always just going to be a good time. Sometimes works of art actually challenge you 
They make you rethink things. They challenge your default setting. They maybe give you another point of view. Sometimes they're politically charged. Sometimes they're meant to, you know, showcase something or marginalize people or marginalize concepts that just don't get put into the mainstream. None of that is escapism, right? And Elden Ring, I think, has totally walked the line of being both those things at the same time, where it is not purely a form of escapism. You're not going to play this and just have a power fantasy where you're going to beat everybody up and win everything and and just become the god of that world very easily. It's going to be challenging. and But at the same time, it is still very fun and extremely compelling. Um, it can be frustrating at times, but again, if you kind of have that player promise in your head that it is going to be a difficult game, that frustration level can kind of get mitigated. And... You know, it's, a, it's, it's def clearly defined vision of a singular director that shines through in everything from the gameplay to the story, to the mechanics, to the art. And it's not luring you in with the promise of escaping you from the world. It's luring you in with the promise of building you up to take on that world, right? So it's it's empowering in a sense it's not it's not reducing your your ability as a player it's actually putting margaret in front of you putting godric in front of you and saying you can do it we believe that you can do it that's why we put that boss there and like you as the player are just overwhelmed with this challenge but when you do it it's it's the best feeling ever right so it, it, that feeling of accomplishment really could never be found if the game was going to be easy, right? Because nothing that's worth doing in this world ever comes easy, right? That was beautiful. And, thank you. Uh, I, I read a Reddit post that was that was awesome. It was, you know, who knows how real it was, but it was just a comment from this guy saying, I just beat Margit. I'm a 45-year-old man. I have three kids. I have a family. I built my own business myself. I love my life. This is the greatest achievement of my life, beating Margit. <laughs> like, just all caps, screaming to the heavens about, about the achievement. And and I think that that right there, no other game can really give you. Um, like, no, it has to be hard for it to feel that way. Uh, so, so to me, I think uh, to view... A video game and you know i've heard this comment a lot i heard on ign game scoop people saying you know i like to feel powerful when i play my games and my question to you is why you know is do you feel powerful all the time in real life it, you know do you, do you have a problem with not feeling powerful enough and maybe you do and maybe that's where you that's what you that's <laughs> now, what you now, play we're, now we're just psychoanalyzing people no no i'm saying i'm saying <laughs> i'm saying as gamers as people experiencing video games if if all we want is power why and you know, if if you want challenge or improvement to yourself, it's it's a, I guess it sounds just gonna sound super pretentious here, but it, it may be a more noble thing to want challenge over pure power, and overcoming of challenge to be something that you welcome into your life over just the bestowing of power to you. Um, and I think a lot of video games that that's that's their business model. That's what they do is just kind of hand you power and and allow you to kind of run with it and give you a fun engine to mess around in. Um, but I don't know. I think this game has really shifted my perspective on things and, and that the feeling of overcoming a, a real challenge can be more powerful than a, the feeling of just bestowed power. And that's, that's my spiel. There's the soapbox for the, for the episode. Um, is, you know, uh, doesn't have to be escapism. It can be both. And you should always welcome challenge into your life because challenge is important, as it turns out. Yeah, you know, I like that. And... You, you touched on a very interesting point in that 
games can serve so many different purposes, right? You know, in the same way a movie can serve different purposes. You know, you're, I don't know, you're not going to watch a marriage story because you want an optimistic story about uh, marriage a marriage or love or happiness, right? You're going to watch something like Marriage Story because you want an honest tale and an honest interpretation of things. You want your own thinking to be challenged, right? It's the same reason that, you know, it's important in, in life to make yourself uncomfortable and to put yourself in, not to be clear, not, not, um, not, not in a dangerous or uncomfortable situation in the sense that where your well being is in jeopardy, but to continue to push the boundaries and grow. Cause that's how you grow ultimately is putting yourselves in situations where you're not used to things or you're a little bit uncomfortable. And I absolutely can view Elden Ring as being a like self-improvement tool, right? Right. You know, I, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, play video games with the idea of this is just escapism, but why can't, you know, while many games may be escapism, why can't it also be a challenge for some people? You know, it doesn't have to serve one individual purpose. And maybe, just maybe, you get so damn good at the game that it becomes escapism. Yeah. There's one way to look at it, too. That, that's the thing, too, is like, I'm not... I mean, fucking, look at, look at, let me, let me solo, solo her, her right? Yeah. This man or woman, I guess you said it's a, it's a dude, we think, but... They were so good at the game, they can just solo a boss without getting hit by her. I watched one of the runs. It's incredible. And yeah. now they give back and escape into literally other players' worlds to help them. And maybe that's their form of escapism or self-therapy. And I know we're kind of diving down the rabbit hole here of maybe overanalyzing what a video game can mean to someone. But I think it is an important conversation to have. You know, I think video games can serve a lot of different purposes. And just by the nature of these souls like games and Elden Ring in particular, because it's, you know, just the most recent one, it's fascinating how they can serve as catalyst for us to even just self-improve. Right. You know, totally. if you can beat Melania, who's what's going to stop you from waking up a little bit early to go to the gym, you know, or something like well, that. Well, Remember, remember like I was, when I was really deep into, into Elden Ring, like in early March, and then we went to the rock climbing gym and I was just like climbing everything. And you were like, Whoa, dude, you're kind of, you're pretty motivated right now. And I'm like, man, it's Elden Ring. Like Elden Ring. And like, I'll never forget when I, when I beat my, I think when I beat Margaret the first time I let, I let out an audible. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't remember the last time I had a, I played a game where I had that kind of reaction. It was incredible. You know, yeah, totally. I didn't yell out. Fuck. Yeah. When I, you know, knocked off whatever fuck face and Hitman, Right. You know, it, it's, it's very yeah. different game to be fair i mean i think you and i both enjoyed hitman quite a bit for what it was and the time we were able to spend with it but it's a totally different experience playing and persevering through a game like elden ring yeah yeah absolutely okay so that's the that's the notes on escapism provided by uh lucas luna here on the podcast and uh we can we can move on yeah. <laughs> all right all right i, Art style? I think we yeah i think we well, one in. more th one more thing I want to mention on game design too. Oh, I'll dive into it more, but the multiplayer is a huge missed opportunity. You think so? Yeah. yeah. I feel like they could have I don't know how it's really functioned so much in Souls other Souls games, but yeah, I mean I feel like I feel like there could be more there. I don't I think, think there was any multiplayer in other Souls games, was there? I think there was multiplayer in Dark Souls 3. That's... Yeah. Yeah, there for sure was because there's PvP as well. Oh, um, uh, you're right. There was, and you know, the, th the thing is, too, is from what I've heard is the PvP was never really uh, something that we were really, really looking for. I mean, PvP was never that great. But the co-op, I mean, 
go go ahead with your point. I'll I'll make my point about the the co-op multiplayer. I think what what could have been done better. Well, yeah, I, I just remember. I mean, it, it's cool with what it is when you actually get into someone's game, but I appreciate the sentiment of tying the the way you summon someone into the world and the way you join someone's game. I appreciate the sentiment of tying it into the game's lore with the way it works with the fingers or whatever and the frill calling remedies, but yeah, it's, sh- you shouldn't have to look up a guide to figure out multiplayer. Yeah. You do have point. to look up a guide. It is. <laughs> it it is shouldn't be, cool. it shouldn't be that convoluted, you know? And I mean, when you, I remember when you and I were playing with, um, Orion friend of the pod, you know, it was just like, uh, every time we died was such a pain. So we had to resummon ourselves into the world, you know? And I mean, how cool would it have been if there's certain areas you can go into the game where it's clearly just way too egregious to play by yourself, but then you can summon in extra players and maybe fight like waves of not even big bosses, but maybe like waves of enemies, you know, like survival mode type of thing. Oh yeah. And it's just, I feel like there could have been so much done with it, but to be fair, I don't believe that the point of Elden Ring is the multiplayer experience. I think the single player experience has always been the main focus. And then the multiplayer is just a thing we tack on as like a little, a little favor, fun thing. I guess yeah. a little fun thing, I, but it could have been so incredible. I think. Yeah. I, I will say, I think that there is like the makings of like a raid style MMO yeah, like thing. Like, absolutely. I mean, imagine 10, like 10 players fighting a massive boss that has like ads needs healing. Like, has multiple phases. I mean, like a real like World of Warcraft style raid boss. There's already aggro meters built into the Elden Ring bosses because they'll switch targets. Like mm. they'll go from one one player to another player and attack. So there's some coding built in or something in the engine that will allow the bosses to to move targets. Um, you just add some some ads in there and like add some some additional enemies. You want to uh, clarify what you mean by ads for the people? Like extra like NPCs that are like minions of the bosses, like mm-hmm. henchmen. You know. Um, just a regular like wow like raid term um so yeah i mean you you can i feel like design the boss fights in such a way that maybe like multiple they're kind of made for multiplayer i think that'd be pretty cool i think the the way the multiplayer co-op was in this game is they did a lot just with number crunching so like bosses um i think kept the same amount of health but i maybe they increased health it was kind of unclear but the when you got summoned into another player's world your stats went down Mm-hmm. Um, including your flask charges, you were weaker. Um, you had, I think, a little bit less health. So it was definitely a weird way to kind of balance it. Um, I think that uh, it's the best that they could do with the multiplayer, but it'd be super sick if there's some DLC or some new stuff that came out later that was like, here's a 10-man multiplayer boss. Get your buddies together. Fight this person. It's going to be very, very hard. You're going to die many times. I will play that for hours. <laughs> I really will. Yeah, I I am 100% with you there. But uh, yeah, I just thought was I thought that was important to call attention to. But moving into art style, I mean, dark fantasy, unmatched. Unmatched. It's incredible, yeah. you know. Um the the set pieces, the enemy design, the boss design, it's all insane and beautiful. God, it's so fucking metal. Yeah. <laughs> when Godric <laughs> When you get when you get Godric to have health, and then he's just like, oh, <laughs> and then he he goes to the dragon head. The voice acting is incredible. There, he just takes his arm off, 
wraps it on to the stub that's left to the dragon's head. Oh, it's amazing i know it's so good it's so good and um, the boss design is good star scourge or dawn god bless that little horse is incredible uh there there's just so much to love in this game and the designs are incredible of the the world itself you get to explore i mean when you first go down that one elevator into not nakron i don't think but the eternal city underneath one of the it's like all connected but there's one big elevator you take that's like a 60 second long elevator and it just opens up into this incredible underworld. Oh yeah. So see. awesome. So yeah. awesome. Uh, I think that's, that's one of the Eter- Nox dollar Necron, the eternal city. One of those. It, yeah. It's, it's just awesome. I, I think like, you know, the d- decrepit castles, the destroyed stuff, everything being totally messed up and dreadful. The monster design is amazing. The boss design is amazing. Everything has intricate detail. Every weapon looks awesome. Um, all of the unique animations and particle effects for like every little spell and every little like incantation that you can do. Um, like the special abilities that come with some of the legendary weapons. Like it's just, it's just amazing. Like Mm -hmm. so much, so much detail went into every single item in the game, not just like with the item design itself, but the animation that you, that you swing with that sword with, or like the special ability that the sword has. Um, it's, it's just, just awesome. And I think it really lends itself very well to the lore style where the lore is not very, really told to you outright. It's like, you have to kind of pick up things as you go along and arts like art and lore are so closely tied. I mean, I I imagine that from software, those teams really work closely together where the lore team would say, Hey, you know, this is supposed to be a castle that is this many years old started getting destroyed this many years ago. This was the old king. This is the new king. Here's here's this t- certain item that we're going to have in there, and here's why it looks this way. Like, you can tell that there was just so much love put into, like, here's the overall story and the world that it exists in, and here's the way the item maybe looks, you know? And then it's designed, and, and the settings and the set pieces and the items in that area look a certain way. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, Something that I wanted to note too that I, I can you can really tell in the game, as far as I, in my opinion, the you know Miyazaki he noted that some of the works that really influenced him was for one Shadow of the Colossus, which admittedly we haven't played Shadow of the Colossus yet, or at least I haven't. I'm not sure if you've I've played, played that it one in the yeah, past, long time ago. I, I think just from the atmosphere of the world that can be seen a bit from what I've seen from that game, and then obviously just the design and the openness of the world was very very clearly influenced and he said this as well by breath of the wild so yep thought that was uh worth acknowledging yeah you want to move into you have anything else you want to add there no that's that's really it for art style i mean uh you can spend hours looking at just screenshots and concept art and stuff like that yeah Uh, it's really great just the amount of things that are in that game, the amount of artists they must have had working on each of these individual bosses and each of these individual uh, types of enemy that can spawn in, and the pieces of armor, the the amulets that you can get, or the is that what they were called? Amulets, right? Uh, yeah, talismans, t- talismans, amulets. Talismans. Yeah. Well, there was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, talismans. Talismans. I mean, there's just so much that was in this game. It just is truly mind blowing. Totally, totally. Sound design. Amazing music. So I thought good. I thought it was epic at times, especially when like 
I remember there's a moment. Uh, this was uh, going to be one of my favorite moments, but it's it's when you first see uh, Godfrey, the first Elden Lord. You see his ghost basically in the capital city. You would have this would have been your next boss, Matt, because I know you got to the capital city. Um, the first next boss that you would have met was the ghost of Godfrey, the first Elden Lord. And he just is this Viking looking dude. He's like 15 feet tall, maybe 20 feet tall with an ax, <laughs> like a giant ax. And the music that kicks in is so epic. It's, it's so, so amazing. Reminds me of like some Lord of the Rings stuff, uh, and he doesn't talk or say anything to you because he's a ghost, and he just he just kind of comes at you. <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, there's moments where the music just really really takes center stage. Um, the music on like the final boss fight is amazing with the Elden Beasts and um, you know Radagon and all that stuff. So just just awesome. Yeah, and I think with a game like Elden Ring, you know, when you have such a vast world and such a beautiful world you have to have the music to match and the soundtrack to match to create an incredible experience, right? If it's just a world with no sound, it won't sound good. And it, it really goes hand in hand. And I mean, it absolutely delivers, you know, atmosphere is everything and it absolutely delivers. And I just want to give a shout out to the composition team. Uh, I was composed by several people, uh, Sukasa, Saito, Shoi Miyazawa, Tai Tomisawa, Yuka Kitamaru, and Yoshimi Kudo. I apologize to them if I said any of their names and <laughs> good shout outs. Good yeah. shout outs. Um, I think the voice acting also really was really good in this game. Dude, um, like, when for the most part, even with the later bosses I got to, I would always there's usually like a mid boss cutscene or something. And with the ones I played at least, I was skipping it once I saw it once or twice. But God, every time Godric was like, battle witness. Yeah, so awesome. I, I, I gave it the time of day <laughs> to spend an extra 30 seconds or a minute just watching that. It was so, so good. Absolutely. I, I love like the what he says when you first see him. He says, foul tarnished, playing as a lord. I command thee, kneel. And he like, slams this ah. thing. It's so awesome. Or even like Margaret's like put these foolish ambitions to rest is like such a such a classic, I think, now for for gamers. I think like... It's it's one of those lines that's now going to kind of go down in, in gaming history as like a meme, like kind of an like evergreen thing that we see. Yeah, like yeah. press F kind of thing. Put these foolish ambitions to rest. Foul tarnished in search of the Elden Ring. Emboldened by the flame of ambition. Born heir 
Lend me thy strength, O kindred. Deliver me unto greater heights. So, yeah, I mean, I think the sound design's awesome. Some of the late game voice acting is also really great. Um, great acting from Melania. Um, your your maiden, uh, Malena, is also really, really great voice. Really, really well acted and has a lot of lines. Um, the narration over basically every cutscene in the game. Um, I don't know if you had a chance, Matt, to look up like the uh, the different endings that you could have. <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, there's the, the ending of the frenzied flame. Uh, where you know you kind of set the world aflame and like destroy everything. There's like a narration for that that is just so so well voice acted, and it's a shame that it's like only one of only one of six endings, so like not a ton of people may see that unless they look it up on YouTube. Um, but there's just such good good quality acting um, in a lot of that stuff. So love it. Yeah, truly truly remarkable, and I mean. Like we always say, the game's bare minimum is to have a good sound design. That's like the ba the bare minimum um, rating we hold games to, and this is definitely there. Excellent sound design, phenomenal sound design, even so, love it. Uh, ooh, this is fun. NPC award. Go go for it. Uh, it has to be. Well, let me see if you know who this is. Even Leonard. Leonard the the horse. The horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, um, Radon's horse. So for those that don't know, Star Scourge Radon, one of the mainland bosses in the game, runs around on a very, very tiny horse. And there's actually some really lovely lore that goes with this. Leonard, uh, Radon's horse, was his horse since childhood that he loved so much and couldn't bear the thought of parting with it. So he actually used gravity magic to give him the ability to still ride his horse without you know, absolutely, totally crushing it, despite Radon's large, very large size. So uh, I love that. I, I thought it was very surprisingly wholesome, despite the horse looking like it's probably having a bad time at this point. But I can appreciate the sentiment around that by uh, Radon. And yeah, that that's just like one of the most memorable things I've seen in gaming in a while to me was just that ridic ridiculous juxtaposition position of the I know it's just a large large done I saw a comment that was like the first time they got there they couldn't even fight the boss because they were just laughing at the horse yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, I remember when I first saw it my first thought was oh is that a bug is the horse supposed to be bigger like what's going on right I know it's just yeah. so silly like I don't know why they did that it's yeah. just like it's it's funny but it's I guess it it worked I don't even know if it really works from like a cool standpoint it's just silly but yeah, you know. it kind of takes you out of it, actually. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it does feel like it takes you out of it, but it's it's like, I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but it is. But it is. Yeah, <laughs> either way it is. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah, good NPC award. Uh, I'll go with, man, there's uh, basically every boss could win the NPC award um, in this regard. Like, I mean, I, I, I had to choose between like, okay, do I want to give it to 
you know, Melania, you know, do I want to give it to Radon because he has such a tragic backstory? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of go with a classic just because, uh, it, it really, we've been talking about him the whole time, which is really Godric the Grafted. Um, I think from a game design standpoint, animation standpoint, and just like over overall I, where he's at in the game, I think he's the first real big test. Margaret's kind of a, a te- your first test, you know, he's like kind of a preamble. He's difficult, but Godric is for me was very hard. Um, I played him pr- a little early. Um, but I think. I was telling this to Matt one time, uh, you know, when you play like, I don't know, you play an old game on Super Nintendo, let's say you're playing like Mickey's Magic Circus or something like that. And it's really hard for some reason because it's an old game and old games were just harder. And you just keep dying to Pete. Like it's Pete, you know, <laughs> like this is stupid. Why is Pete such a hard boss? Like I think there's this funny thing that happens in games where like sometimes the stupidest boss is like just really frustrating and difficult. Like when I remember playing Kingdom Hearts 1 and just getting so pissed because I couldn't beat Ursula because she's so hard <laughs> and it's like Ur- it's Ursula. It's like a Disney character. It's like so difficult. But like you play Godric who's really difficult and it's like, okay, this is like a demigod child with like a thousand arms. He has two axes. He's huge. He can sh- graft to a dragon, shoot fire at you. Like everything about him, not just like his game design or his mechanics or, you know, he's just hard. He he should be that hard because from a lore mm-hmm. perspective, he's a demon demigod boss king guy. And like yeah. it just feels it feels better to lose to somebody like that than like Pete or Ursula, <laughs> like Disney, literal Disney characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that's palpable. Yeah. So I think Godric, uh, he's, he's just good from that perspective. I think if you put somebody like Melania at the front and scale her down in terms of difficulty, it just wouldn't have felt the same. Godric is truly like a big guy who's scary looking, who just insults you and kind of calls you lowly and all that kind of stuff. And then you beat him. So uh, for me, he's the NPC award because it's it's one of the best moments for me. Love it. Yeah, definitely was a, a satisfying one to get through too. Uh <laughs> Companion piece pick. So I actually changed mine in the middle of us recording this because oh. I, um, I, well, one, we have the same one, so I don't want us to just have the same one. Um, you want to go with yours and I'll go with mine? Yeah, I went with, well, I, I think there was really only one, there's really only two obvious choices. So I'm very curious if you're going to pick the other choice in my mind. <laughs> Either, anyways, I, I went with Game of Thrones. Um, think for probably obvious reasons you know kind of like dark fantasy very lore heavy um george R. R. martin obviously you know wrote game of thrones that whole book series and obviously he was a huge influence uh writing this scenario for this game and yeah uh, i think game of thrones is barring the last season an excellent television show agreed and you know normally if if Normally, I, I would make an effort to if it, not follow the crowd if I actually think something's good and everyone's just saying it's bad. But no, the last season's Game of Thrones is actually bad. Um, anyone that says it's good is just being contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. It is objectively from a storytelling point a bad <laughs> season of television. But that's beside the point. The rest of the show's good. Uh, worth your time if you haven't watched it. Great. All right. 
Good, good job. Yeah, I think the George R. R. Martin influence is pretty real in this one. Like the incestuous family lineage thing. Yeah. yeah. Influence of like outer gods. That's vintage Martin, baby. But yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. I, okay, so my my companion piece pick, I actually changed it while I was on my soapbox over there about challenging pieces of work. Um, I'm not sure if I've done this one as a companion piece pick, but it's sitting on my bookshelf over there, Matt. You want to guess what it is? Uh, fucking... God damn it. <laughs> okay. Um, no, you definitely used this before because you did used I? To okay. use it. There's no way you didn't use it for a Stanley Parable episode. No, I, I wouldn't have. I don't think I had read Stanley Parable by the time. I don't think I had read Infinite Jest by the time we did Stanley Parable. I definitely didn't, actually. No, you totally had. No, I didn't because I read it a year ago and we did Stanley Parable like two years ago. Um, Infinite Jest is the companion piece pick. I think for me, it's the book that exemplifies what I was talking about on the soapbox earlier about something being a challenging and worthwhile piece of work. Um, it's an extremely, extremely long book that is about work in a way or about challenge. And, you know, uh, David Foster Wallace, you know, rest in peace, talked a lot in interviews about the book, about how a challenging book or a long novel is something that is, that is kind of uh, misunderstood and he always wanted to write one and that's that's kind of one of the reasons he wrote infinite jest so um you know it's one of the only like long novels i've really ever read um, i know there are quite a bit out there but i think anybody that reads uh you know we talked we talked to dennis dyack about this a lot um he reads those super super long uh malazan book of the fallen series and each one is like over 1200 pages and he says yeah Insane. but they're yeah. they're a huge commitment but they're amazing 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 it's like the exact way that i would describe elden ring is like it's so amazing but like it is a commitment you know so the way you would describe just, elden ring or infinite jest or both? infinite jest elden ring probably the, yeah. the way that you know malazan book of the fallen was talked about by dennis um all, the, all that stuff i think uh, yeah. falls in line with something that's challenging but also very worthwhile yeah, yeah. Elden Ring or Infinite Jest was <laughs> sitting in my apartment for a very long time, and Lucas finally came and took it back. So <laughs> I was not going to be reading that game anytime soon, or reading that, that book anytime soon. Admittedly, right. favorite uh, okay. moment. Favorite moment. I'll start. Um, I have two actions. I couldn't decide. So sue me, whatever. First, the Star Scourge fight because there's just so many memorable. From the horse being like, what the fuck with the horse <laughs> to the fight actually being really badass. There's so many facets to that fight that are really cool. And I think the kind of lore behind the fight too is really interesting where he's just kind of this lost, washed up general that just has nothing, no joy, no meaning left in his life other than fighting and constantly brings together warriors to fight. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lucas, but I don't believe there's any other fights in the game like that where you can summon NPCs that you've seen throughout the world, like you can bring nope. fucking Alexander the Jarhead. I know, yeah, the Jar Warrior. And also, blade. you learn a very, very um, concerning bit of his lore, where he, I think, survives by taking corpses and stuffing them in his jar body, which I found oh, very concerning. I did not, yeah. I did not pick that up. That is very concerning. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that, and then so yeah, that was just a really fun, really cool boss fight, and then I really enjoyed. It's just so metal to me when Godric just chops off his hand. Yeah, great moment. And then grabs it to the dragon. Just incredible. Awesome. Uh, I, got, I got a couple of favorite moments here as well. Um, one was actually a multiplayer moment. Early on in the game, um, me and Orion jumped on the multiplayer and went, went boss hunting. 
and we beat uh, one of the first early um, Erdtree avatars together. And it was really, really epic. Uh, super, super fun. It was like kind of exactly where the multiplayer needed to be. Like neither of us was really strong enough to carry the other. So we had to like seriously balance aggro and dodge the boss. Took us yeah. multiple tries. Um, that was just, that was so much fun. Uh, so love that. Uh, second favorite moment is, uh, you know, it's, it's really the ending. Uh, it's really like kind of getting to that last portion of the end, which I know we can't, um, you know, you and I can't, can't conversate on too much, but you know, it's the, the end of, of Elden Ring is really like a boss rush. It's like, mm -hmm. you go to this one area, you fight, um, you know, Godfrey comes back. He, you fight his ghost early on in the game or like at the halfway point of the game, then the end game, he comes back in his physical form and he looks so sick. He has like a lion spirit attached. If you Google it right now, it's so cool. It's like a lion spirit is holding onto his shoulders and biting him. And according to the lore, like Godfrey, it was like a Viking warrior that married Queen Merica. And he took a vow to like, basically stop himself from being like a bloodthirsty like Viking warrior again, because his real name is Hora Lu, which is actually his second phase. So you're fighting Godfrey, and then he sheds his lion spirit cape thing, and then becomes Hora Lu the warrior, and he fights you barehanded, and he's covered in blood. He's just a straight up <laughs> Chad. It's crazy. Um, so he's an awesome boss fight. Uh, then you fight Radagon, and then you fight, uh, you know, the Elden Beast, and it's just kind of an awesome boss rush at the end. And um, the bo the last boss is actually not all that hard, um, funny enough. The last boss is not the hardest boss in the game. Just a really, really cool setup, really, really great setting. Um, and just kind of like one of those weird, like, whoa, what am I fighting? It's kind of like a celestial beast um, that kind of asks more, makes you ask more questions about the lore and where things are at. So favorite moments there. Awesome. Yeah, I did watch online the final boss fight, and that thing does look pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It had a least. big sword, and just like, yeah, it's that the Elden Beast is super cool. Yeah. All right, moving into nitpicks. Multiplayer, we already kind of dove into and missed, but that's a major one for me. You know, no pausing is a big one, I think. You know, I can appreciate the sentiment of not having traditional pausing, but at the end of the day, if you're in a single-player game mode, I firmly believe the gamer has the right to pause their game if they want. Yeah, um, I get that. Uh, it's it is definitely very easy to get turned off to the game at first, but at the end of the day, that's just what Solden, excuse me, what Solden, what Souls like and Elden Ring, uh, a game like Elden Ring is. No quest log. That was a big bummer. It was. It's very hard to find. To really, yeah, you basically have to have a notepad to really follow all the various like side quests you get. Yeah, yeah. And I, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say to expand that too. I think it's a shame because I think a large part of the lore of this game and a lot of the lore of this game in general will just be lost on so many people because you know it's just so hard to follow and it's just so kind of. You have to go, I think, in some cases, so out of your way to really get the full story. And I think it's a shame because, I mean, from the videos I've watched online to try and learn a bit more, the lore really is extremely fascinating. And it's very clear that George R. R. Martin put a lot of work into it, as well as Miyazaki. So it's a shame that not more people are going to get to experience it. 
Yeah. And in, I, in I'm the a, way it should be experienced I, and really I, digest it. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm of like two minds on that one because I think that in, it, no matter what, you're going to go on YouTube for some lore. Uh, whether the lore was in the game was well communicated or not, I just I just think that there's going to be always like a degree of third party stuff that you're going to have to look up. Same thing with the quest lines. Like every single quest in this game has to be looked up online. That yeah. being said, whenever I do quests in most video games, I'd say that most of the time I'm looking at a quest guideline, even when the quests are very obvious. Like even when in a game, the quest is just like, go here, do this thing. I still look it up and go like, oh, should I go there and do this thing? Am I forgetting yeah, anything? Yeah. Like, so I think it's kind of this funny thing where, yeah, there's no quest log in Elden Ring, but you would have looked up the, th the answer anyway if there was a quest log. That being said, there should have been a quest log or something that wasn't like the healthy middle ground between no quest log and quest log. It would have been cool if there was like a notepad because like it, it was to the point where like, oh, go find this NPC, go talk to this person. And the last time I saw that person, they were at the table of lost grace. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to the table of lost grace. And they weren't there. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I just got to move on with my life and figure out where they are later. Yeah, and you look at moments like that and you look it up. I looked up the solution on, on the quest log thing online. And it's like the person moved to this random town in uh, like near the lakes of Liernia that they only moved to after a certain like condition is met for another quest. It like made no sense and it was really hard to follow. So totally get that. Uh, my, my nitpick really is that the late game spikes are really tough. Uh, the game gets very, very, very hard after you reach the capital city and fight the bosses there. Uh, it's, it's just really crazy. Uh, <laughs> like the fire giant is way too hard for, are the fire giants extremely hard? Uh, Melania is, Melania is just so, so hard. Um, she's op optional though, isn't she? She's optional. Yes. Um, Moog is difficult, but, um, I don't think he's optional, but he's really difficult, but, but pretty fair, but, but hard. Uh, yeah, it just, it just gets crazy near the end there. Pharaoh Mazul, like the floating temple that you, that you fight, like the beast man, the clergyman beast man guy, really, really hard too, especially <laughs> the Godskin duo is like the stupidest boss in the game. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some really, uh, really hard stuff there, but you power through, you, you do whatever you can and you, and you get through it. That's what I did. Um, all right. Uh, moving on. Would you play other games from this developer, Matthew? At this point, no. <laughs> I have no interest diving into a game like Sekiro. Oh, a little bit in Sekiro, but for the most part, I have no interest in diving into any previous um, FromSoft games. Uh, that is not a knock on FromSoft. I just think in general, I won't enjoy most Souls-like games, and I think the only reason I did enjoy Elden Ring was the fact that it was open world, so you can take a break and just kind of explore and see what's out there. And it does offer easier ways to, I think, you know, just kind of um, grind and farm runes to level up. I don't see myself enjoying any of the other ones, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite end on that one, to be perfectly honest. I, th I think, like, I'm just so gung-ho on wanting to play Dark Souls Remastered and Dark Souls 3. Um, and Sekiro. Sekiro just looks really cool. Did they sure. remaster the first Dark Souls? Yeah. I know they did Demon Souls. Uh, I think they did the Dark Souls remaster not too, I think earlier this year. I think it's on PS5 as well. Oh, so, they did. You're totally right. I yeah. So it looks great, honestly. If you look at the comparisons between DS1 and the remaster, it looks awesome. And I, I got a couple friends that are, are really into Dark Souls. And um, 
shout out, uh, you know, Scott, who I mentioned before, and uh, another friend, Sean. And I didn't. It's funny. I didn't even know that some people were were fans of these Souls games until I played Elden Ring and started talking to them about it. Like, oh yeah, dude, this is my first Souls game, and they're like, oh really? Like, man, I've been playing since Dark Souls One. You should check them out. They're really good. And there's like. There hasn't, at least when I've talked to these, you know, Souls fans in person, there hasn't been like a level of elitism that you see on Reddit or online. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's it's probably just a loud minority that that we've been kind of criticizing there. But I definitely want to jump into Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3. Uh, I've heard Dark Souls 2 is kind of weird. Uh, my buddy was telling me that it's like they, uh, Miyazaki actually had somebody else take the reins on that and make executive decisions on it. So it's just not quite, the, doesn't have quite the same magic as Dark Souls One and Three, um, and of course Sekiro is just like one game of the year from some play, from some outlets when it first came out. So apparently mm -hmm. that game's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, dude, final conclusive thoughts on the game. Let's hear it. Whew. The game is sick. If you're gonna play it, be ready for a challenge and go into it with an open mind. Don't expect to breeze through it. It's not an open world game like. You know, in the tr in the vein of like Horizon Zero Dawn or like even Red Dead probably was. You know, it's very much everything in this world wants to kill you and will kill you if you miss two rolls in a row. Right. But incredible. If you're willing to persevere through it, you're in for a treat. And I, I recommend it. Awesome. Uh, I'll end my final night, my final notes here uh, with actually a quote from the New Yorker article um, uh, where they interviewed Hidetaka Miyazaki. Um, really great article. I mean, I, it, this is just kind of showing that Elden Ring really cut through into the mainstream. I mean, Miyazaki had an interview with the New Yorker, like right after, uh, the game came out in, uh, in early March. So here's a quote from, uh, from that article. It's, uh, the average player will, will return to the firefight, the firelight hundreds of times. Games often flatter their players with childish power fantasies, but Miyazaki's work relies on the virtues of failure, patience, and hard-earned precision. You cannot mash the buttons and force your way to triumph. Each foe has heft and intelligence. Their attack patterns must be carefully observed and countered. Your stamina managed. A duel with a knight must be approached differently from a brawl with a pack of wolves or a skirmish on horseback with a soaring dragon. A moment's lapse in concentration in even the simplest encounter can prove fatal. As in life, struggle is infused with truth and consequences. Miyazaki says, I just want as many players as possible to experience the joy that comes from overcoming hardship. Well said, Miyazaki. Um, all right. Matt, you want to talk about our rating system real quick? I think we need a little refresher. We haven't done our rating system in a little while. <laughs> all right, everyone. We have reached the rating section of the podcast. This is where Lucas and I will each give our ratings out of 10. Um, and we will add those up to 20 and then ultimately out of 20 that is the ultimate score that upsurps every other score out there whether it's game scoop ign uh wait that's the same outlet <laughs> whether <laughs> it's ign destructoid anyone tfp is rules all yep. that said i will give mine with the asterisk that i only got 40 hours into the game and really only got as far as redon so okay all right Matt, three, two, one, ten. Nine. All right. That is a nine uh, and a ten. That puts that 19. So that's the Naruto Sasuke Achievement Award uh, mm. for this game. So there we have it. That's a pretty good score. It's actually a very yeah, good score. Yeah. I thought about giving it a ten, but 
I can't give a 10 to a game I didn't beat. Yeah. I know that's a bit of an unfair knock, but I just didn't. Yeah. As well, even if I did beat it, I think some of the sins are outright like a little egregious to me. Like not being able to pause is egregious and the multiplayer as being so silly is a yeah. little um, bit of a knock for me too. Yeah. For me, I, this is the easiest 10 I've given on the podcast, like for sure. Uh, this is just one of my favorite. I said it. It's like one of my favorite games ever. It's top five, possibly even top three games. It is so, so, so good and has kind of created feelings in me, like I've outlined in that quote from The New Yorker, uh, created feelings that that really games just it's very rare these days in gaming. Um, I, I think like when you're playing the game, you you kind of really have a singular vision coming into to, to you from Miyazaki um, that really is present everywhere. Uh, and and really just the escapism versus challenge thing. Um, it's the the game is clearly about something. Um, it's about it's about overcoming. It's about um, all that kind of stuff. And I think it just shines through so well. And uh, it's it's a generational game. I I, I think like this game is always going to be talked about forever. It's not just a flavor of the month thing. Um, I think it's going to be talked about well after this generation is over and down the line. Definitely, yeah. um, especially since it's its own original IP as well. Technically, I know it's a Souls game, but you know George R. R. Martin, a worldwide famous phenomenon writer, you know wrote the scenario. That's that's something I can even talk to like you know my own dad about, who's like a huge Game of Thrones fan. Like, oh, George R. R. Martin wrote a video game. <laughs> it's yeah. like it kind of it kind of Elden Ring is just so huge. In that regard, and I just, I don't know, I loved it so much, uh, as, as people could probably tell <laughs> from my passion talking about the game on the episode. It's pretty remarkable. It yeah. is. It really is. It's, a, it's sure. an achievement in gaming, I think. But, um, all right, everyone. I think that's all we got today. Uh, as a reminder, if you want to find the podcast online at TFP Podcasts, it's at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. You can find in the link tree on those uh, socials our Discord. Come hang out there. It's a good time. Go check out our YouTube. If you want to hang out with your good buddy Matt, you can find me on Twitter at GetIdeaMatthew. And you can email the podcast at thanksyouplayingpod at gmail.com. That's right. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can at GoodIdeaLucas or you can hit me up on Discord. Shoot me a message, join the Discord, maybe play some magic. Uh, talk about the new set coming out. Me and Matt are playing uh, Sifu. We can talk yeah, about next, Sifu in the next Discord. big game coming out. Um, yeah, that's pretty that fun. we're doing for the podcast. But note with that as well. Sorry, note with that really quickly as well. You are able to vote on the games we do in the podcast now. So make sure you join if you want to have a say in what we play next. Um, well, I was going to say Sifu was community voted in, but there's actually a tiebreaker between Sifu yeah, and, that's true. That's and, true. and Shadow of the Colossus, and I was arbitrarily the decider there. So there you if you don't want us to be in that situation, come hang out and uh, put your vote in the podcast. Yep. And, uh, you know, join the Discord. Maybe you can play some Fortnite with Matt because he's a Fortnite He's a Fortnite guy now. Uh, I don't know about that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much we'll be on that game again, but maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right, man. <sighs> all right, everyone. This has been Thanks for Playing. Catch you next time. Scooby-Doo-Boop. Thanks for Playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna, and our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 